and welcome to Lunching with Lawyers. Lunching with Lawyers is brought to you by LorettaCrete.com. In this series of podcasts, Loretta explores the world of law graduates. She talks to lawyers, recent law graduates and budding lawyers seeking alternatives or exploring how to get the jobs that they want. This podcast series is also for those thinking about pivoting or just wanting to do something different. So join Loretta for discussions with lawyers and law graduates about their careers and the paths they took to get to where they are. Let's explore what success in their profession looks like to them. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Lunching with Lawyers with me, Loretta Crete. Today, I'm here with Dennis McMahon. Dennis is the Senior Solicitor for the Farm and Rural Legal Service, which is a part of the Civil Justice Services at Legal Aid Queensland, a role he has held since 2003. In that role, he has travelled the length and breadth of Queensland visiting farmers who found themselves in conflict with their lenders or are struggling to repay debt. His office is his car, his views and ever-changing landscape of rural and outback Queensland. He is the 2020 winner of the Queensland Law Society's President's Medal. Um, the award recognises an experienced legal practitioner who has shown great integrity, courage and responsibility through their commitment to continual improvement of the profession and of themselves. I can definitely attest that uh, Dennis meets those requirements, but I also know him as someone who likes a beer and a bit of a yarn. <laughs> um, Dennis and I practice together and have known each other since he joined Legal Aid Queensland in 2003. Today, we are sitting in a beautiful part of the sunny coast, far away from the dusty byways of the Australian bush. So Dennis, Welcome, but are you a city boy or a country lad? Uh, thanks, uh, Loretta. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm a country lad, certainly not a city boy. So what are you doing on the sunny coast? Well, I uh, ended up here because the firm that I was a partner in, in Dolby, had opened a practice up in Budrum and thought that I might want to come over here because I have family over here who have retired to the coast. And uh, at that stage, I thought that uh, it might be a bit of a change. I was actually at the stage in private practice thinking that um, I needed a change. Mm. So, uh, but I wasn't at Cavosso and Winship at that stage. I was in a different uh, private firm and uh, ended up here on on the Sunshine Coast for a while, but then the job at a legal aid come up, which mm. I thought was right down my, my alley. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so where did you grow up, um, Dennis? Uh, well, say our family, both my parents are off farms outside of Warwick at uh, Gladfield and Maryvale. That's mm. east of Warwick towards Cunningham's Gap. And we had a family farm there. And uh, the so we would spend... I was born there uh, on the Gladfield, no, no <laughs> Warwick. I was born. My uh, it was the floods were happening. Condamine River. Mum was rowed across the Condamine River before the O.O. Madsen Bridge was built, and I the doctor who delivered me was Doctor Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> And the Warwick Hospital. Yeah. Obviously, he's seen, he must have managed it without butchering you. All <laughs> well, you know. some might think that. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah so, but uh, I suppose Dad um, took a job on as being livestock manager for Anderson Meats, which was um, a cattle buyer for Andersons. And we ended up um, moving from uh, Gladfield to Rockhampton for a couple of years and then moved back to Toowoomba. So we were close back, we were within uh, shooting distance of uh, Maryvale where the farm was. And so we're living in Toowoomba and coming back out on weekends, back out onto the farm. Mm. And uh, I just noticed you said that your mum rode 
across the... My mother was rowed across. Yeah. I rowed across. <laughs> I rowed across. Yeah, she was like, rowed across. <laughs> like in a boat. In a boat, yes. Uh, yeah. Gee. Um, yeah. Oh, luckily, so, you made it. She made it to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Mm. She, that's right. She was uh, um, here in those days. It was a little bit different. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you had to, but you had to help with farm from pretty early on. Why was yeah. that? Oh, well, we all, everyone did. Mm. Um, it wasn't that we had to. We all enjoyed mm. it, um, and uh, that was. Uh, we'd go up on weekends. I'm the number six of seven, so mm. the elder brothers, two, the eldest brother, Leo, is 12 years older than me. He was already away. He, he was working as a stock and station agent, uh, and so he had his own life. Uh, the next brother down was uh, Dudley. He was at uh, the seminary in Brisbane, so um, he went, went there in 1964 when was, I would have been in grade four. Was that always the case that the second son went and became a priest <laughs> I don't know no, no. That's not the, no. Uh, the, the, I don't think there was that many priests all around mm. but uh, certainly around Warwick there's a lot of priests but, mm. um, yeah so he was so nine, that was 1964 mm. he would have or 65 he would have gone to the seminary and um, the only reason I know what year I'd be in school is because when I started in grade one I was in 1961 so mm. very easy to remember um, and Kieran was at he might have been started studying by that stage he was either in senior or whatever he was um but by the time so by the time i was in my teens all my other elder uh, members of the family had all left home so so i'd go up with dad on the weekends and um and then uh uh in 19, uh, I finished school in 1972 um, and uh, I was to go to Gatton College uh, to do rural management and uh, and then Dad died on February the 3rd, 1973. He'd, he got sick over the... He'd, he'd had a leaking valve of the heart uh, from childbirth so he was always susceptible to this uh, sort of problem and... Uh, it got worse over December '72. He was put in mm-hmm. hospital, and then, uh, uh, and then he came back out for a short time. Well, he might have. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's around about the time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he died uh, in on the 3rd of February '73, which was the Saturday on the Monday. I just started the Ag College. And so, did you go to the Ag College? Yeah, I went there for. Well, firstly, Ag College in those days, you basically lived on campus. It was almost like a boarding school. Uh, down at Gatton. Um, we got special dispensation for me to travel up and down by car from Toowoomba and I used to, uh, there was two other uh, students there. One was a fellow who's a Rhodesian who came to Gatton. He was married, had family living in Toowoomba and uh, so he was a mature age student. So he, he was travelling down and then the other fellow was uh, Jimmy Diamond who was in my one of my brother's classes at school who's doing uh, postgraduate studies and uh, so we'd, uh, the three of us would go up and down every day and um, um, it was... Um, that was because you, your mum needed you. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, it also yeah. was probably just... You know, mm. it, it was a bit of a shock, bit of a shock yeah. for everyone. Yeah, mm. yeah, I... My, I had a younger sister. My still have my younger sister, Colleen. She was fourteen at that stage. Mm. So yeah, and you know it was a shock. Mum was fifty-three, I think. Yeah, but mm. at that sort of age. And so um, yeah, that was a major, the major incident in life that turned everything around, mm. or changed things. Um, and mum was, um, uh, you know, obviously shocked, and she struggled. And then she actually went and did a refresher course in teacher training because she, before she married, she was a teacher at uh, in Warwick at the convent that she went to school. She went and boarded there and then left there and did her teacher training there and was teaching there. And many of the old uh, identities in Warwick, including Leo Spanner, who was a very well-known senior lawyer in Warwick, she taught him. <laughs> And uh, Tony Maroon, who was also the most leading uh, 
publican in Warwick. <laughs> he had the Langham, Langham Hotel. She taught him everything he knew. <laughs> uh, Including how to drink. Uh, no, Mum didn't drink much, but uh, uh, someone else might have taught him a few of those tricks. But, um, yeah, so... And so what what were you doing at Gatton? So you were doing an agricultural degree? Yeah, or, or? yeah rural management. Mm. It was... Um, uh, in at Gatton in those days, you could do, you could you could leave from junior and do a uh, certificate course in agriculture, and then you could go on to do the, the tertiary type studies, which one of the courses that I was doing in rural management. And I think it was one of the first years of rural management. It was more like an, uh, an ag economics type uh, role, but um, Gatton was more practically based. Like one of the things. <coughs> that you had to do was to get a, a tractor's licence. That was a particular licence that the college required you to have. And um, so you had to do a... Everyone, every student there had to do this driver, you know, tractor-driver course mm. and and flipping newies and hit, hitting the turning brakes on the tractors with implements on the back and all this sort of stuff, which I'm sure that most people at other unis wouldn't have been doing at that stage. Well, when my mum came to Australia, that's the only licence she had, was a tractor licence. <laughs> and I remember she wanted to get her Australian licence. And she really didn't have enough time, so she handed in her tractor licence saying it was a car licence. And she, was, she felt guilty about it for years and years afterwards. But she got her licence because no one could translate a German <laughs> tractor licence. <laughs> yeah, well, this, it was actually different to a tractor licence. In those days, you had to get a tractor licence to be on the road and on a tractor yeah. as well. So it was actually different again to that because I had mm. a tractor licence. Yeah. And But that didn't matter. That, it was must have been probably workplace health and safety type things yeah. with all God, uh, that was students. early on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was really... Gatton was a really interesting place because it had the... Uh, I remember the... Piggery was one of the first um, biosecurity type places around mm. where you had to gown up and whatever. Yeah. Now, this we're talking about 73. Yes. And so it was pretty high tech stuff. And it, was, it was interesting. But, mm. uh, anyway. Uh, but what, what then made you choose law? Well, uh, the, I was pretty unsettled. And um, not surprising, uh, yeah. And, mm. and we're you know just driving up and down every day, and I wasn't sort of settling into study very well at all. Um, and some of my friends um, at school from school had started articles, and some were doing law. Uh, and also, I knew a lot of article clerks, they were who were um. They'd been to school with my brothers, and so I knew of them and knew what they were doing, and and they were all encouraging me to do law. So um, that's uh, I uh, a position came up, I applied for it, and um, uh, I got it, mm. and so that's how you, you uh, came yeah. to be a lawyer. But so just for people because we know what articles are even though they were already going they weren't available in new south wales when i did my law degree but what are articles really well uh, articles in back in uh, the the days gone by article clerkship was you were articled to a uh, an experienced lawyer who uh, you signed a an indenture with that he or she, and it was nearly always he because there's very few shes at that stage, unlike what happens now, um, uh, was contracted to educate you mm. um, and that you worked uh, and under their guidance whilst studying. And you could do... Um, there was the Solicitor's Board examinations in Queensland. There was, like, the two places you could do law, all three places was you go to UQ and you can do law or you could do articles through the and and do your ex- examinations through the Queensland Solicitors Board. And for bar, the barristers, you could do bar association uh, exams. And some, I think, that did... If you did... If you went to UQ, you still had to do a couple of years of articles after mm. completing your degree to, before you were admitted. 
whereas if you were employed by a solicitor and working as an article clerk, you did your, your 19 subjects and uh, after five years of articles you, were, you could apply for admission. So when you say you did your 19 subjects, was that through a university or was no, it through a through the solicitor's board? Mm. Um, yeah, so, and the solicitor's board had basically the bar- there would be junior barristers or some practitioners would um, uh, give subjects, they, mm. they were the lecturers, but being in the country most of you at the time you never got to go to any lectures, you you did everything by pretty much by correspondence or you'd ring them. Uh, if you could get down to Brisbane, the, um, the lectures would be early in the morning. Mm. So from Toowoomba, you'd be leaving, if you, to get down there, you'd be leaving at 4.35 o'clock to get down to Brisbane. Mm. And then you'd have to, you'd go to the lecture, then come home, uh, back to work. You'd, you'd mm. back and have to work for your uh, days and then... You did get study leave, a week's study leave, uh, before the exams, and there was the exams were every six months. Um, occasionally, once a year, the Law Society would get everyone down, all the article clerks, we used to call ourselves all the article sharks, <laughs> would all go to UQ, to the um, residential colleges there, mm. and all get together from all over the state. So how many of you were there then? Because, you know, now there's thousands of people graduating every year. Well, see, the the legal profession was actually regulating its numbers Mm. by them. Like Mm. if if a firm needed article clerks, they could employ more. And I I believe that uh, there was a limit to the number of article clerks a particular practitioner could have. But, um, um, say, some firms in Toowoomba... They might have had four or five article clerks mm. and at different stages. So the benefit of it was that if you, um, if you were coming into a subject, you, you'd contact an older article clerk mm. who'd already been through and they'd give you all their notes and get, uh, give you <laughs> a lot of... All their answers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there was, that's all that... Uh, you, had, you had no idea what was in the exams. Yeah, But exactly. you'd, you'd have all of the... Um, Material. Material, yeah. and they'd, they'd be mentoring you, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, in fact, uh, and like I can remember, you'd know George Fox. Yes. George was mm. a junior solicitor in Toowoomba when um, he'd come from come up from Brisbane, he, but he'd been to UQ. But he um, he lectured, he's just not lecturers, he'd assist any of us article clerks who were um, uh, wanting to go and see him about... Um, any subject, you could turn up at his place with his, uh, as a young lawyer with his young wife, uh, with a six-pack, and he would give you time to go through the um, <laughs> subject. He'd, he'd, so yeah, and a lot of the, mm. all the junior lawyers did it that way. Um, yeah, so there was a lot more camaraderie. Everyone mm. knew each other. Yeah, we had our own uh, football teams, cricket teams, go away on the grog. Yeah. So it was very much male-dominated, though. Well, do, yeah. do you remember there being any female article clerks in those days? Uh, there were. There may have been a couple in Brisbane, mm. but um, yeah, nearly all male. Yeah. Certainly, all on the downs. It was the, the male, mm. but um, the um, but that was. In, but at UQ, it was. Yeah, there was. So probably having university opened the way for women to get into the law because it would have been really hard to break through those barriers in those old law firms where yeah. the principals were male. Yeah, mm. well, every I don't know of any female mm. principal in any of the firms that... Uh, you know, the old firms yeah. that were in those days. But, look, the, there was, uh, there was a, a lot of advantages, uh, for, I think, for professionally... Then, rather than university, because um, things such as ethics and um, and just common sense, like you would, um, some of the first things and a junior article clerk would have to deal with would be debt collecting. So they would get all of the, uh, they would come across a lot of the villains, not so mm. much, I'm not talking about villains, but the people that were, tell you anything yes. about... Um, um, the uh, give you any sort of a story to a young 
person um, mm. chasing a debt. Uh, and you, you had to learn pretty quickly as to what was you know, legitimate, legitimate what wasn't. Mm. And also you did uh, a lot of the crash and bash um, motor vehicle accidents and minor uh, incidents like that. So it gave you a lot more grounding there. But, but the bigger thing was um, I can still remember... The um, so the old rules where there was never you couldn't advertise it was illegal for mm. lawyers to advertise. Touting was an enormously um, frowned, uh, upon. frowned mm. upon, but also um, I, I can still remember all of the old solicitors. They had great camaraderie amongst themselves, but they would always insist that you did the right thing by everyone mm. and right thing by the law. You know they they teaching you respect for. Um, Everyone and, and... And I think respect for your colleagues. Yeah. I, I do remember... See, I probably came... was at the end of that. And I, I remember in Western Australia, as a very young lawyer, I'd had a conversation with someone over the telephone and there was an accepted practice that telephone conversations would be without prejudice. Mm. And I remember having this conversation and they said, well, I'm going to put this into an affidavit. This was from another firm. And I complained to my principal and she complained to the principal of that firm. I never saw that solicitor again. Like it was really like you you really trusted your colleagues that they would do the right thing and that you wouldn't bring your profession into disrepute and you wouldn't employ sharp practices in the... Um, you know, in trying to gain an advantage over somebody else. Yeah. yeah. I think that's sort of missing... Yeah, it is. And also, I think there was far more... Because there weren't so many people around either. Mm. Like, the numbers of solicitors in Toowoomba... And, you know, in Toowoomba, you'd, you'd mix with Dolby and Warwick. And, and each firm had their own town agents in Brisbane. And they had a very close relationship with town agencies in Brisbane mm. because they, they would do all your filing work, mm. all of your uh, stamping... Um, and so everyone got to have a very close relationship with one another and know one another. Of course, there was always you know, the, the odd ones out, yeah. but, but I think as, as a general rule, there was significantly better relationship yeah. between everyone. Um, and the, it was only it was a pretty small pool when you think mm. about it. Like some of the old firms, a lot of the old firms had disappeared, but they were very well known and they've been around for a long, mm. long time. Yeah, that's... Uh, even now, some people say the Brisbane profession is quite small, but mm. it is great. It, I, I understand it was a five-year clerkship that you did in yeah. the first four in Toowoomba and then you moved to Innisfail. Yeah. Uh, what, that's a long way from Toowoomba. What made you head up there? Because um, Innisfail is on the, the coast... About how many kilometres? Of fifteen hundred or something. Ah, uh, well, put it this way: it, if you flew from Brisbane to Cairns, which is eighty kilometres north of Innisfail, it would be further distance than flying from Brisbane to Melbourne. Yes. And in those days, it was about a twenty-something-hour drive. Um, <laughs> and how many hours you did could it do, take you? <laughs> you could do it while you do it. Uh, well, you had to do it a couple of times, so just driving, yeah, non-stop. Mm. And the roads um, going up in those days were giveway signs. The bridges in those, they were always one-way, not all of them, but a lot of them on the Bruce Hall were one-way bridges. Mm. So I'm just trying to remember whether it was going up or coming down. One way, there was a giveway. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, the roads were pretty treacherous. Um, so why did you go up there? Uh, I, I went mean, up there because... One of the fellows who'd, who had been at school with, who had been an article clerk, he'd been one of the brothers' classes at school. He'd been, he was a junior, junior lawyer in Innisfail. He, he'd gone up there working, Dennis Carney. He rang up and said, well, would you like some new, different sort of experience, a different law? Um, and the uh, just living in an entirely different environment because he knew he'd... he'd He'd gone to school in Toowoomba, did his articles in Toowoomba at Groom and Lavers, and um, and was they were looking around for a uh, some a number of um, well, what had happened was the the senior partner in the firm there had died, 
unexpectedly died. So the uh, Peter Daniel was the junior partner who was basically left with trying to run this uh, pretty busy practice. And so there was um, three, uh, three of us, uh, all article clerks, but all pretty much near the end. Yeah. At the time, there was um, Ross Lamonico and Kerry Smith were both um, article clerks there. Ross, Ross had been at UQ and had decided, I'm not sure whether he'd finished his degree and was just doing his time. And Kerry has, had been, he was a uh, uh, um, mature age uh, mm. fellow who'd, who was married. He'd, he'd been working up in the Gulf and that he'd had a really mm. interesting life. So went up there because not an entirely different environment, but there was dealing with different sorts of issues, and the Family Law Act was had just been brought into. Oh wow! Place, yeah. um, Gee, it must have been different practicing family law before the Family Law Act came. Oh in. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll sneak through windows, <laughs> taking photographs. Did you ever do that? No, I didn't. But I know of um, article clerks that. You know that tell all the stories of that was their job. Well, they'd have to they they'd get private investigators, mm. and uh, yeah, it was completely different. Um, uh, it, it was interesting going up into North Queensland where there was a, um, a diverse, you know, uh, look up in the tablelands. There was a lot of different uh, ethnic groups, there's a lot of Spaniards and uh, Croatians and all sorts of other types of. Mm. Um, Nationalities there, and of course, around Ennisvale, very, very large Italian, Maltese, uh, Greek communities um, as well. And uh, patriarchal societies uh, dominate a lot of those, and accepting the fact that there was no fault um, divorce, divorce yeah. was, was really something that was foreign to them. And, uh, and it was, of course, it was new for me, though. Um, divorce was so simple compared to what it used to be, and I'd only seen I hadn't done any family law mm. before I got up there because there was one of the other part, the, one of the partners. Well, actually, my principal um, in uh, my master at uh, at Greenhound Yates had done family law, and uh, um, I'd seen some of his files, just giving him a little mm. bit of assistance. But I hadn't actually been doing any practical stuff apart from might have done some maintenance application. I would have yes, I would have done maintenance applications, but. Um, uh, certainly not the divorces because it, I think they were reasonably complicated um, as were even doing estate administration um, mm. see uh, before 1977 there was the death duties and we used to heap of work oh, wow. on yeah. um, estate administration and that, and that took up a lot of time a lot of work because I think every cheque over $200 you had to justify to the commissioner um, and also, um, what other things so were... So when did they get rid of death duties in I think, Queensland? I think, it was, I think Joe got rid of it in 77, mm. just, just from memory. Yeah, um, and that's when the exodus from New South Wales happened, didn't it? They oh, all yeah, kind it, was, up to it was amazing. Yeah, mm. Well, talking of, of, of my own family, mm. my mother's um, family, she at that stage had been the only one out of... She had... A sister uh, and two brothers, three brothers. Sorry, three brothers. Mm. But um, her eldest brother died when they when she was quite young. Is on the farm, so every one of them were on the farm except for mum. Mm. And then, um, then so her parents when they died, they, there was death duties issues. Then mum's um, brother Desi, well his name was Dennis Desmond, who I was named after. Um, he he died um, in '64, and then Mum's sister Francie she had uh, breast cancer and died, and so st- uh, death duties was payable on the one property farm over you know all those different mm. uh, deaths. So it was it was a massive issue for particularly for farming families because mm. it was always generally in those days it was family businesses you know. F- it was like handed down, and yeah. and um, in some respects, people were expected to stay on the farms and whatever. But uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty unfair uh, 
way to raise funds um, if you were the, the families having to pay the death duties. Um, and uh, there was a lot of, yeah, so the law had changed significantly over the time because um, when one of the first jobs I have as an article clerk in Toowoomba, like on a Monday morning, You'd be hung over after the weekend after having played rugby on the Saturday. <laughs> oh, so on the, on the uh, and drank, kept uh, drinking on, on the, after the game. On the, yeah, on the on the Sunday, everyone would be getting together. Um, would be to go up to the courthouse, and I'd have to do the searches for White Mercantile, Dun and Bradstreet, and those sorts of places. Mm-hmm. And it was all handwritten. You'd go up. Uh, you'd go into the back back rooms of the old courthouse, and you'd just have free access to all of the. Um, the judgments and all the mm. court documents and then um, so you do your reporting and then you'd pay your search fees and uh, so that would have to be to Brisbane in the mail that afternoon and of course that was all handwritten and then um, someone might have typed it I'm not sure um, and the uh, what other, there was oh yes the the um, photocopying machine was a rank Xerox and it was the pride and joy of of the office. It was brand new and was about six foot long by about <laughs> four foot wide. And you'd, every morning you'd have to get in with a crank and you'd roll it at the roller with all of the uh, powders and so as to crank the machine up. And was that a job of the article clerk? That was the article clerk or. Um, uh, sometimes the, the master took great delight in getting it going, but uh, yeah, that was at, at least um, yeah, it was sort of all new technology and electric typewriters were just starting to come in, and dictaphones. Oh really? Dictaphones the where they mm. and you'd have a dictaphone on your desk with a cord that went right through to back to the to the girls, who uh, and there was I, I don't know how many. Girls, there would have been so many girls there. They, most of them did uh, shorthand. Mm-mm. They were all really competent, and it's interesting. Greenhound Yates, when I came back there as a partner years later, the same staff was still there. They, so they, that was it. Was yeah, something there for a long fun. time then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now no longer exists. But the, um, but a lot of yeah, the the staff. Had to the uh, shorthand was really great, big, yeah, and essential. Mm. And uh, any any uh, person that had training in, in a legal office could get a job anywhere mm. because it, there was uh, typing. Um, like if a will had to be hand, it was typed out. And if there was a mistake, it had to be retyped, and it was all done on uh, uh, you know, carbon paper. Yeah. Um, and same with all the documents, all the yeah. mortgage documents, everything. It was just... Yeah, it's, I've seen some of those old documents. Yeah. They're pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Um, look, I'm going to go back because you went back to, was it was it Cavossa? Cavossa and Winship. In 79. Yeah. And, but by 1980, you were already a partner. Like, how yeah. quick was that? And why does that... Like, you wouldn't get partnership in any, any firm yeah. these days within a year. No. Well, in... You know, um, I suppose Alan Cavosso, well, Cavosso and Winship was at that stage was the biggest firm on the Darling Downs, bigger than oh, really? any of those. There were six partners. And um, um, Alan Cavosso, he was the senior partner. Uh, Freddie, Freddie Winship had already retired. Uh, and Mr. Cavosso, Alan, ABC, we used to call him Alan. Banks Cavosso, he was retiring and they, um, it wasn't unusual for the junior partners to be... Um, Quite young. Yeah, particularly if you've been through articles, mm. you knew yeah. the run of offices and you knew um, probably how to, most probably how to talk to people and whatever. You knew how to talk to people, you knew how to run a file. You knew, yeah. yeah, yeah, there was none of, yeah, mm. you, you could be given a file and you knew how to run it. Yeah. And you just go from there, um, and you know you was doing a lot of the, the, uh, well yeah you had conduct of everything. The, the um, 
Yeah, Cavosso's was, uh, you know, it was a wonderful firm. Um, uh, had a really strong base. The... Um, um, would get yeah. uh, Beryl Donkin would come out. Beryl was the uh, Secretary of Law Society. Oh, really? Queensland Law Society consisted of three people, no. or three, huh? or three or four. Um, it was conducted under the, I think, the in the library of the Supreme Court when it was in. Oh, geez! So it was only it didn't even have its own office, really. No, no. I was in. Uh, yeah, because. As an article clerk, you'd have to go and file your articles and everything at, you know, with the law society. Yeah. And so you got to know... Um, all the, the people. All the people, the three people. All <laughs> there was in it. And, and she got to know... Like, Beryl Donkin ran the... You're talking about uh, females. She ran the law society, basically. Um, she did an amazing job, and she was so well respected by everyone. Um, and... Um, it's just fascinating to see what's happened, how the, the Law Society's gone from that sort of base to, to becoming such where a it big organisation. Yeah. Mm. And, and it sort of it highlights uh, the development of legislation and all sorts of other uh, things that have happened over the years since then. Mm. Also, it, it was run by women, really, the Law yeah, Society, for yeah. many years. Yeah, mm. there was. I'm, I'm, yeah, Beryl Donkin. I'm, look, I'm, I don't want to be. Uh, my my memory mightn't be all was great, but I'm pretty sure she was she was the uh, the wood she was the secretary of the law society. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. But um, she was the one that was most well known. Yeah, yeah. By. Well, there would have been um, you know the board would have consisted of mm. men, I'm sure, because yeah, that's pretty much the whole board would have been men. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I can still remember um, uh, like she come out to Dolby and I think she must have gone around to various places and and uh, uh, even though Alan Cavosso has sort of retired he'd stayed on mm. and he he and the rest of the partners would be so they they would treat her sort of godlike you know and take her out for, for lunch and whatever and that was yeah there that you go lovely. Um, so. but you left that partnership I suspect I suspect when you went and took over the family farm moving back to Warwick and you went into another partnership, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, we, um, um, yeah, that was in 1986, 87, 86, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, it was a difficult decision because Cavosso's was a very um, well-established, very well-respected mm. firm and all, all the rest. And um, the, uh, uh, Lorraine himself got married in 1983 and um, her her parents were sort of living around Warwick as well. They were the publicans. They were the publicans, uh, yeah. So is that where That's you met her? Yeah, pub? we met her at the Merivale pub. Yeah. And what were you doing at the time? Uh, probably uh, having a drink. I'm, I'm, yeah, well, actually, I'm sure I was having a drink. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Wasn't no. there some stories about you dancing on the bar? Oh, yeah, but so, so was everyone else <laughs> in those days. Yeah. <laughs> Um, people people seem to enjoy themselves a lot more uh, with yeah there wasn't near as many regulations around <laughs> particularly in country pubs there was yeah, very few rules anyway um, um, we digress yeah. from um, so yeah it was so 1983 then in 1986 by that stage uh, we were um, considering issues like uh, you know wanting to go back onto the farm and to um, deal with things uh, you know, just have a go on there because every weekend from uh, we went to Innisfail when we got back every weekend, I'd go back from I'd drive from Dole back to back to Maryvale. And how far through was that? that? Oh, a couple hundred k okay. was yeah, yeah, yeah Just to, you know, just down the road, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> in at Rosso's we had um, a branch office at Tara, which was hundred and something k, mm. sort of west and whatever. And a lot of clients would come in to see you. They'd come for hours mm. and drive, you know. And so, yeah, distance isn't wasn't isn't a real big issue. Um, yeah. So back in 1986, we um, um, Tom Tom Lyons, uh, who I'd known pretty much, well, certainly known the Lyons family is all my life. And I'm not sure when I would have met Tom, but it would have been when I was only young. And, and in fact, Tom's 
first cousin Frank was my best man at uh, at our wedding, and uh, the Lionses were next to our neighbours to the McMahons at Gladfield and whatever. So very close um, connections. connections there, and uh, so the, it was unsurprising, I suppose, for us to to go back to to Warwick, and um, we. Um, um, so what was the firm there? Uh, Gaffney Lyons McMahon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, David uh, David Hill had been there with Tom, and he had left to go to Brisbane, I think. Mm. And so Tom was looking for someone else, and Tom contacted us and uh, considered. It and it was, um, yeah, no, it was a good move. It was, it was, yeah, it was a good move at the time. Yeah, mm. yeah, from probably from. Uh, you know, it was regrettable to leave uh, Cavosso's, but on the same token, it was you know it was great yeah, to come yeah. over to, to Warwick and and also to be uh, you know to have a go at um, doing uh, living on the farm and then driving in and out of town every day. It was you know, forty k's from town, so it wasn't too far. No, and um, but you moved then to Toowoomba in nineteen ninety five. Yeah. I'm assuming that had something to do with children. Yeah, we needed to get closer mm. to... Um, uh, we had uh, twin David and Paul, and uh, by that stage, Sean. We, for medical reasons, we had to um, be closer to um, facilities for treatment on a day-to-day basis for, for a while for someone. And so um, uh, we thought it was best to to move there and so I went back to the old firm that I did my articles with at Green Island Yates. Oh really? Mm. Yeah so. <laughs> well yeah. it shows that one it must have been a great place to work for and two that they liked you. <laughs> well, well pre- presumably that well by that stage uh, the uh, Graham, Graham Schmidt who was my master, Graham was, he'd retired, he'd, got, he'd been ill and uh, Herbie Yates, um, from uh, he had passed away. He was a he was a, mm. a lovely, a really lovely old man. Um, he'd been dep- um, deputy mayor of Toowoomba, mm. and um, uh, he was the you know the epitome of a gentleman. Mm. And uh, uh, he was so nice to everyone. Yeah. You must have known the Clearies out there too. Yes, we did, because um, uh, John Cleary mm. and, and JC, John was, um, um, well, it was Cleary and Lee, which at that stage, when I was in articles, um, Cleary and Lee would have been the second or third, third biggest firm in Toowoomba. Mm. Very well known because John's father, JC, was one of the original partners. And they had quite a number of article clerks, and I used to play 500 with them every day on at lunchtime. Oh, really? Yeah. With the article clerks? The article clerks, oh. yeah. Fred, Fred Kleinschmidt, Tony Connolly, Paul O'Connell. Who else What would come up? But, um, and the article clerks that had been there, like Trevor Gibson and Trevor Irvine and those, they had, were already part... They were already practitioners in various mm. places around and they'd all been to school or well, Trevor and both Trevors were in one of my brother's classes at school mm. so that's how we knew but um, so yeah uh, that's and that's one of the highlights uh, we'd play it'd be Green on Yates because it was more central they'd mm. come up and Rodney Fuss would come from O'Sullivan and O'Sullivan and occasionally we'd get uh, the Paul Paul Bloom who was one Lynn Hall? He we were at school together, and and he's a very bright fellow. Uh, there was Brendan Cutter here, who was another bloke that went to school with. He was at one Lynn Hall, and Tom Sullivan, of course. Uh, Tom was at Bernays, and he was just up the road from from <laughs> us at Bernays and Bernays. So. <laughs> well, that's um, different. You wouldn't expect that today, would you? No, no, you that's. Know, it's, it's, that yeah. is missing in some ways, you know. Yeah. Mm. And well, do you have any amusing stories that you might be able to tell me of an unusual client story or an unusual mm. gift? Did you ever get an unusual gift? Mm. No, I can't say I've ever got unusual gifts that I can mm. really recall. 
I remember um, Simon Cleary telling me about his father getting carrots and oh yeah yeah I saw yeah some of the farm produce you know yeah um, as payment. Well, I can tell you that Cavosso and Windship, before I got there in the nineteen, the big droughts, I think it was a 60, 64 to sixty six drought. Um, they didn't send out accounts to a lot of their clients because they knew they hadn't had crops. Mm. But firms like Cavosso and Windship, and and this this way how it's all changed, uh, Wendelin Hall and the uh, you know a lot of the bigger firms in Toowoomba as well, but. Um, Cavosso and Winship acted for a lot of the, uh, you know, like the stock and station, they, the stock and station agents for, say, Dalgettys and um, uh, other more national type firms. Mm. You would locally, you'd do their work for them, mm. and SGIO, you did all of the SGIO mm. work for the area. Yeah. Um, Workers' Comp, you did all of that sort of thing, mm. and so you had a lot of co- much more corporate type work. That sustained you, mm. and you did a lot of insurance work. If it was mm. in a ha- accident happened in the, that area, you'd, you'd get instructions yeah. from the insurance companies and that for that sort of thing. And so, I suppose the firms were able to do that. And we're not, able to carry carry some of the clients not paying their bills. Yeah, or or delaying sending the accounts out. Mm. Um, whereas that sort of thing just didn't, wouldn't happen these days. And uh, and of course, all of that sort of work went from. You know all the local um, regional firms in uh, into Brisbane, yeah. which really took away a lot of. Um, there was a lot of expertise that was in the in the bush that was some lost. a lot of ways lost. Yeah. So in two thousand and three, though, you made the big jump to Legal Aid Queensland from private practice, um, to join the Farm and Rural Legal Service. Well, what does the Farm and Rural Legal Service do? Well, it's a unique service, um, the only service I'm aware of in Australia that provides assistance to farmers and rural-based businesses, but primarily farmers, who are experiencing difficulties with their bank. Mm. And um, generally speaking, it's where the bank is in uh, the process or considering... Well, the client's approaching a situation where the bank's likely to take enforcement action. Um, The Queensland Farm Finance Strategy had been negotiated um, in in the the mid-1990s. Legal Aid was pretty heavily involved in in developing Mm -hmm. that strategy with the DPI, with CURA... That's Department of Primary Primary Industries. Industries... Yeah, and um, Queensland Farmers Federation mm-hmm. and the Australian Bankers Association and all the various banks mm-hmm. had a, a say in, in developing mm-hmm. that strategy. I shouldn't say that, you know, there's no suggestion that legal aid were sort of the driving force behind it. Mm-hmm. Queensland Farmers Federation owned it with the Australian Bankers Association mm-hmm. but with input from various organisations. And um, the, uh, the strategy was developed for the purposes of trying to avoid all of the uh, calamities that happened in the 80s and 90s with um, farmers being thrown off um, properties and there was a lot of... There was a lot of bad publicity, wasn't there? Yeah, there was a lot of bad publicity and also, you know, look, the the law really wasn't up up with the times in that if you owed money, um, uh, regardless of how it was being managed and whatever, Mm -hmm. that um, they just had to issue notices and then uh, you were booted off and... Um, you know, there's very little people mm. can do. It's very unsatisfactory. Yeah, and it created a lot of unsatisfactory results. Um, and, you know, in the long run, I think because of the sort of abuses of power by uh, the lending institutions, by some of them, I'm not saying them all, that um, it's that's why that's, you know, the Queensland Farm Finance Strategy was negotiated to try and reduce those sorts of mm. issues. And uh, then, of course, since then, everything um, has been mm. changed again with all the changes to the uh, yeah. finance industries and whatever. So what do, you, what, what do you think, Dennis? I know that you would have come from private practice to legal aid. So what do you think the unique challenges of working in private practice as compared to working 
for, um, you know, in the role that you're in at the moment? Mm. Private practice, you could never do what we do mm. because it simply couldn't pay. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the challenges... Um, and I don't know how to address these sorts of imbalances. Is To run a private practice is very expensive. Mm. So you've got to justify your expense. And people that are in uh, difficulties with their banks mm. haven't got any funds to pay. No. Um, and so the... the, the and it's so dealing. important to build the relationships. And like you said, if all the businesses have moved to the city then the small sole practitioners or smaller practitioners in the country can't afford anymore to build that relationship because, yeah. and then, you know, they're really forced to be very efficient with their time and that's expensive. Yeah. But you I need that, that relationship built. Yeah, but I, I, I think mm. the, I think in fairness mm. to the, the practitioners, I don't think that's the issue in that because they live in the communities yeah. and most of them have come from those communities so they've, they've so still they still know that that I don't I don't think that aspect of it is right but where the where the issue would lie is the amount of time that we take just to understand a person's business the, the understanding that the the way in which the business runs is not as time-consuming as sitting down and finding out some of the underlying issues that are there and what might be um, how they're going to react to various various issues and it takes a long time uh, and that's where I think the banks have not understood over the years you know when someone got into financial difficulties or their their facilities were out of order um, there'd be a flag come up on the computer, there'd be a generated letter go out, and then there'd be some uh, someone sitting in Sydney or Brisbane ringing them up and saying, well, why isn't your facilities? We'll give you a month to get them in order and this sort of thing. And um, there's so much more behind the clients that they, generally speaking, they're all aware that they're going to be, their facilities are going to be out of water. Well, yeah. well I shouldn't say they're all aware, but the vast majority of them wouldn't be aware that that's going to happen. They've been living this nightmare for some time. They've been aware of it. It's how they how they're going to be able to deal with that, and um, a lot of them have got a problem with um, accepting that the potential issues, um, or they're battling with um, continuing battling with drought or floods or wherever mm. the problem is, or, or just a commodity collapse, or their own own metal. Um, problems or physical problems, yeah, or just separations. Yeah. You name it. Um, it. It seems to be getting more complex rather than less. Yeah. Farming operations in Australia. Farming mm. operations are really high tech. Um, they they run on slim margins, mm. and they are. Um, uh, there's so many things that are beyond their control which um, have a direct impact on, on their bottom line. Mm. And as you know, that you know, if you've got a good season, it can just turn around things so remarkably, which most people don't um, fully appreciate, but it's on the of, same token. Yeah, same it's sort of like a gamble, isn't it? Yeah. Farming is a gamble. Yeah. It's a high-risk, high-stakes gamble. I was speaking to a farmer the other day and they go, we don't have to gamble, we're doing it. Year in, year out, yeah. because we gamble on the weather, really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, look, it's, it's it's amazing the way things have changed too. Um, in, my, in my time, I've seen um, them, a lot of, all the, many of the smaller farms have, have gone now because, you now even in, in back home in our area where they, um, back in the 50s, they had all support a, the family plus another family. Mm. Um, by the 60s, the, that other family wasn't supported. By the 70s and 80s, there was sort of struggle street. And then, of course, there was, um, I, I believe anyway, there's been certainly climate, changing climatic conditions since then. Um, and that there's been a lot of these smaller farms have been swallowed up into larger farms. and. By and large, uh, scale is 
if you've got good scale, you're going to be far more successful than if you're if you're running a smaller operation. Um, generally speaking, but but where a lot of people have come undone, and and there's a lot of really successful, mm. very you know large scale operations, yeah. where people have come undone is trying to get into that larger scale. And I saw it all uh, so hap- so. Um, well, it was really um, come home to us mm. that when um, we were looking at clients' positions after the 2007 uh, GFC and then mm. the banks pulled up pulled and this is about, in, yeah. Yeah, about 2012, we sort of, the, if a matter happens in 2007 or eight, we sent, tend to see it two or three years later. And you could see what, what uh, people were buying properties. They might have even owned their own place debt-free buying the neighbours. So they immediately become at 50% equity. Mm. And and that was okay. That, and that was normally okay. But if you had... If you bought in a high market mm. and if the conditions then started to deteriorate, um, both the market and the um, climatic conditions, like the commodity market or whatever, mm. um, and if the falling prices with uh, with the banks in those days, they were concentrating a lot on the loan to value ratio. Mm. So, if your bank, um, if you you suddenly were at fifty percent, and then at the value of both assets started declining, you were actually starting to climb up to the sixty percent and whatever, and that mm. that started to ring alarm bells within the the banking industry. Mm. So um, there was. That that particular issue happened, and a lot of and of course that, at that stage there was um, big flood events that destroyed infrastructure, destroyed crops, destroyed you name it. They were really devastating after a millennium drought of mm. two thousand to two thousand and ten or nineteen. So um, anyone that had um, either developed country or bought country at high prices were susceptible and unfortunately a lot of them um, their LVRs come out of whack banks wouldn't give them extra funding mm. and they were forced out yeah it's a really tragic time it was time. and it was and there's also mm. the other part of that was there was bank amalgamations and some of the banks that were amalgamated I think it's fair it's it's quite fair to say that the banks that took them over um, really wanted to exit a lot of the the clients yeah so dennis i think you're a master networker um what would you say has been the most effective networking tool you've used in the because look at you you know everybody and so well i was very yeah there from the well well, i I love the industry that we're mm. working in like Agriculture is great, and I've been really fortunate to be able to um, having my eldest brother being and with Amon and Ethan Elders for 47 years, and being one of their senior men in, in uh, he was known throughout the state. Another brother, livestock buyer. Mm. So, uh, and father having been in the industry, and I'd known, I'd acted for a lot of them, mm. and when I was in private practice, so um, that sort of thing. Uh, I'd. I had known a lot of people in the pastoral side. Um, yeah. Just, so. Yeah, I just think, I actually think it's about, like you said, it's about roots and, you know, it's about being part of that community for a very long period of time. You just get to know people over yeah. time. And, um, you know, people get to know you, they think you're a good bloke and they're willing to do stuff for you or, you know, assist you and those sorts of things and give you the opportunities. So what quality... I think the Rural Financial Counselling Services and that sort of Mm. thing too is great networking services. Yeah, I I would agree with that. So what qualities do you think you need to work in a rural-based legal practice and any tips for young people who want to head out to the bush? Well, I think the the first um, thing is that there's great... Um, I'd say opportunities um, for lifestyle and to be part of a community uh, mm. in, in the bush. The, um, 
uh, I, I think if, if you, for example, there's a lot of female, you know, women in, in the legal profession mm. now, um, and a lot of them uh, would come from um, farming backgrounds or country areas, yeah. and they would be very um, well accepted going back in there. Mm. They're really funny, um, while startling that's uh, occurred to me a couple of times, in on remote places... Uh, a family properties you go there the sons have gone off they're either off to Brisbane mm. or whatever or working in the mines or whatever and it's the daughters that have remained working on the properties running the properties mm. and that's been something that's really been brought home to me on several occasions on really remote places which has been surprising mm. and um, I must say so I must say, uh, from my perspective, and this might just be a generalisation, I think that lawyers are still quite well respected in country areas. And if you went out there, you know, you already have, you know, people will accept you into those communities based on the profession, welcome you into those communities. And that's not often the welcome or the acceptance that you would get necessarily in the cities um, if you were starting out as a young professional so yeah. oh, I'm, sh- oh, yeah, I'm sure that um, see all the, all, all the country areas they, I know that it's hard to get young lawyers to go mm. out in the bush uh, and I'm not just saying and the bush being you know, really remote no. areas even, even large provisional um, centres find mm. it hard to get um, younger lawyers there and um, look they, they can get to work in five minutes mm. they can um, they can earn um, as a paid employee I don't know but I imagine they earn just as much as they earn in the city probably more mm. uh, and there's much more chance of being in a partnership mm. and um, and that's the thing if you're in Brisbane like if, if I was in Brisbane when I first got admitted there's no way on earth I would have got into a partnership in Brisbane within, you know, a well-known partnership in Brisbane within, uh, you know, 12 months or whatever. But in, in there's significantly more opportunity to be part of the business if you're in the country. And for, for a young... Um, yeah, look, one of the things that's... <laughs> funnily enough, I, I can say from the point of view of... I've been on farms and... And we've had meetings on farms with the banks. Mm. And there's a couple of occasions, some of the banks, um, pe- people are coming along were young women. They've turned up there in high heels. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, if they weren't breaking their high heels, they're, they're having trouble with them and uh, things like that. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit different... Um, the, the practice of practice. law is a bit different. Yeah, yeah I yeah. agree with you. So yeah. when you go out farm... You know, it is okay to wear your jeans and yeah. a nice shirt. You don't yeah. have to be in your high heels. And, in fact, quite the um, reverse. Yeah. Mm, they don't no, expect you to be in no. the high heels. They don't want you to be in the high heels. Because then they actually think that perhaps you don't know what their life is really like because if you knew even a little bit about what it was like to be a farmer, you'd never rock up in high heels Yeah. Um, because you're, you're likely to break your heels. Yeah. <laughs> and well, there's a great example. Like the Royal Financial Councillors are so grounded like that because they're aware of those things. Mm. And uh, uh, and yeah. see, a lot of them turn up, uh, like the Royal Financial Council, like if you go out onto the places, they'll turn up with fresh bread yeah. or something for morning tea or something. Because a lot of them out there, the only fresh bread they get is if they come in once a week into town. Mm. Just little oh, small things like yeah, that. Yeah, just, that's, but, but most people don't. Uh, in, pri- in private practice, the people will come in to see you. Um, you've probably got to be more um, aware that they're just going to drop in because mm. they, um, they're, in they're, they come, they're in town and they're going to pop in and see if you think, or they're likely to, to ring them. Um, you know, this, I'm going back years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I know that one of the partners um, at Cavosso has always said, um, during when it's raining, he said, you get all the phone calls because he said that the, the farms have been sitting on the tractors all day 
for days on end thinking up the things to go and ring their, the lawyer and accountant about when it's uh, when they uh, when it's so wet and they mm. can't keep on doing that. So. Um, yeah, just all right. So, Dennis, I'm going to cut you off there, like I always do. <laughs> what was the best thing your law degree has given you, if you were thinking about it? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I suppose it's been a fairly um, varied um, existence. I suppose I'm not sure. I, I mm. don't know what to say to that. What's the best thing? Well, that, variation's um, pretty good. Yeah. What would you have done if you hadn't have been a lawyer? Oh, I'm sure I would have uh, been involved with the um, the ag side of it, doing mm. um, uh, even you know, interestingly enough, even even being doing stock and station agents or uh, valuation or um, sales or any of those things, but having if I had pursued the uh, finished off doing the rural management, that would have been really satisfying. Mm, because yeah. a lot of work I do now is pretty much understanding what they, what the sort of work we would have done anyway. Yes, yeah, sort of time. the uh, management of businesses. I must say it was very interesting when you took me to the stockyards in Warwick um, a few years ago. I'd never been to something like that before. <laughs> it was great. Really yeah. enjoyed it. And like you said, it was still full of a lot of. Um, older farmers, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah well, it's an age. It's a still. Mm. It's a very old yeah. uh, demographic, and mm. uh, you know they're, they're reasonably they're very conservative, I suppose. Yeah. Of course they are. Um, yeah, and they really enjoy having people around them. Mm. And now, finally, what was what was it like winning the Queensland Law Society's President's Medal? And the recognition, and for the recognition of your achievement from the members of your own legal community, uh, that was it was extremely humbling mm. and uh, very surprising because uh, someone who has never thought themselves of being anything extraordinary at all in, in, the, in the law, particularly when I've seen so many really smart, good operators that understand the law very well, which mm. you know. Was, Struggling with the Latin terms and understanding what the difference between mortgagee and mortgagor for a start when it first started. I still struggle. Still struggle with it. I, I was very humbled because I, I do know there's so many really, really smart and good operators around, and who have been uh, who dedicated themselves to things. Um, mm. Yeah, and so it was very humbling and very surprising. Thanks, Dennis. That was um, delightful, like always. And like I said, Dennis and I work together and um, we always have fun together when we do that. Um, And maybe you'll catch both of us in the highways and byways of the Australian bush one day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Loretta. Thank you for joining us on Lunching with Lawyers. If you enjoyed this episode or have questions or comments for our guests, head to the show notes for this episode and click on the contact links below. If you have suggestions, ideas or questions or would even like to be part of this series, head to the Contact Us page on our website, www.loretacreep.com.